Confession. Did you know that according to the Bible, it's connected with our personal healing? Here's Pastor Mark Joe. Confess your sins to people around you. If you're a sister, confess it to a sister. If your brother, confess it to a brother. Why? So that you can be forgiven? No, so that you can be healed. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. Dr. Job is president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church. I'm John Geiger, and we're looking at the subject of powerful prayer in this last study in the book of James. Pastor Mark reminds us that we need to position ourselves to pray in powerful ways. But it's not about having faith in faith. Here's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. If I have faith in faith, then I think that if I can boost my faith up, then I can get whatever I want. But if my faith is in a person, then I know that I can believe God, but ultimately I have to trust Him for the results that He thinks is best for me. There's a lot of people that get in a lot of trouble when they have faith in faith instead of faith in God. Especially when it comes to sickness. I have seen God move and heal people in miraculous ways, but I've also prayed for people that die. And you say, well, pastor, does that shake your faith in God? Not at all. Because my faith is not in faith. My faith is in God. And think about it for a second. If God answered our prayer every time someone was sick and every time we prayed that they would be healed and that they wouldn't go, then we would have people that are four or five hundred years old because none of us want to let go of anybody. I think back about five or six years ago when a friend of ours that many of you knew that was a part of this church became a believer here at this church, had a pretty powerful conversion out of a gang background. His name was Vince Garica, and he was diagnosed with cancer, aggressively growing cancer, stage four cancer, tumors in his body, riddled in his body. And when we first found out about it on Father's Day, we had him give a testimony. So he stood up here on Father's Day, and he gave a testimony of the fact that he had cancer in his body, and he was believing and praying that he would overcome this cancer. But even if he didn't, he would still bless and give honor and glory to God. He battled cancer ferociously, fought it with all his might, had four children and a wife. We prayed over him. Many people come and just declared over him, you know, you're healed and just walk in it, claim it, uh, you know, declare it, brother. You're going to stand up and you're going to walk all well in meaning, all well intention, praying over him. The body prayed over him, but he, he seemed to get worse with his cancer. And I'll never forget, I sat down and talked to Vince when he was somewhat discouraged about his faith. And he was saying, Pastor, maybe it's I don't have enough faith. And I took him to Hebrews chapter 11. And I said, Vince, I want you to look at this chapter with me. Hebrews chapter 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame. A few months ago, I was able to visit for the first time ever in my life, Canton, Ohio, which is the Football Hall of Fame. And if you go into one of the rooms there, they have the bus, the heads of all these famous football players. These were all the heroes of football going way back. Hebrews 11 is the faith hall of fame. It mentions in Hebrews all these men and women that were heroes of faith. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11 carefully, 
You'll discover in the first part of Hebrews that it talks about people that had miracles occur in their life. Because of their faith, they shut the mouths of lions. Because of their faith, they overcame. Miracles happened. They raised the dead. They saw things supernaturally happen. And we're all like, yeah, I want to have that kind of faith. And then it says, and others. Others were killed, sawn in two, persecuted, driven to caves. And on this world, they did not see the answer to their prayer. They received the answer to their prayer on the other side. They're both listed as heroes of faith. Some believed God and God gave them a miracle and they were able to celebrate the supernatural miracle. Others had to have faith to take them through a trial that only faith could sustain them through. The day before Vince died, I went to the hospital to see him. He was extremely thin. And he knew that his time was drawing close. And in his weak voice, he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should have had more faith. I said, Vince, to me, you are a hero of faith. I would have preferred that God would heal you and that you would dance out of this place and everybody would say, look at what God has done. But that faith has sustained you. You have witnessed to every person that's come in your room. You've given God the glory. You've kept your attitude in the right place. You've trusted God. The same faith that's required to heal someone is required to take them through a difficult spot. So in my book, you are a hero of faith. I say this because I just want to be cautious. I want us to be careful uh, when someone is sick that we not toss it up to maybe you're sick because you don't have enough faith. Because Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we ultimately go to God. I believe that God heals. I believe that God can heal instantly, progressively. But I believe that ultimately He always heals because we're given a new body at the resurrection. But I want us to understand that He says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now He makes a relationship between sometimes our sickness and our sin. And the Bible does indicate that sometimes... People are sick because of their sin, but not always. Sometimes you're sick just because you shook someone's hand and they had germs. And you can't blame it on having a bad attitude the week before. So, number one, the prayer approach. Number two, the prayer power. Number three, the prayer position. Learn to position yourself to pray in powerful ways. In verse 16, it says, Therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says, since God heals and has the power to heal us and do the miraculous, then we need to make sure that we are confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other so that we can experience healing. 
I want you to hear me well what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. We confess our sins to each other not to be forgiven, but to be healed. Some of you grew up in a tradition in which you felt that in order for your sins to be forgiven, you had to confess it to a pastor, a rabbi, or a priest. I want you to look around this auditorium and tell me if you see a confessional in this auditorium. Go ahead, just in case. Let me tell you why there's not a confessional. Because I believe in the confessing of sins to one another, but I do not believe in the confessing of sins to a pastor or a priest for the forgiveness of our sins. I believe that Jesus the Christ is the one that has the power to forgive us and not a person, a man, or a woman, or a clergy on this earth. You see, the great thing about having access to God 24 hours a day, some of you grew up believing that your sins were piling up until your next confession. So if you went two months without a confession, you had a lot of pile of sins, and if you died, you were in trouble. So you had to confess often so you wouldn't pile them up. Let me tell you that there is a confessional wherever you go if you believe in what Scripture says because when you are on the orange line going downtown and you are hanging on, there is a confession booth right on the orange line. You say, Lord, forgive me because I really messed up with my wife this morning and I was angry and irritated. Please, I confess it. I know it's wrong. I repent of it. And you have just been to the confessional on the orange line. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. In other words, it is not me. You say, well, pastor, I'm waiting to confess my sins to you. I don't really want to hear your sins. I'm sure there's a lot. Some of you look like you've piled a lot up. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that we have direct access to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and it is him who forgives us. We confess our sins to one another. Who is one another? The person beside you. Look at the person beside you and say, you are one another. You know what it says? Confess your sins to people around you. If you're a sister, confess it to a sister. If your brother, confess it to a brother. Confess it to someone that's around you. Why? So that you can be forgiven? No, so that you can be healed. Some of us have been forgiven, but we haven't been healed. Because... You've confessed it to God and you've received the forgiveness of God, but you still walk around with the woundedness in your spirit and you're not healed in your heart. Maybe you had an abortion 15 years ago and you've cried out to God and said, God, forgive me. I took the life that was inside of me. I was, it was a bad time in my life. I, I just I made bad choices and I feel guilty about it every time that birthday comes around. Forgive me, God, but you say, I've asked God to forgive me, but how come I still don't feel whole? Maybe because you've asked God to forgive you and he has if you've confessed it and repented, but you're not healed from it because maybe the next step is you need to talk to a couple sisters that can pray over you and pray you through the healing process so that not only are you forgiven, but you're healed. And so he says, confess your sins one to another. And by the way, can I also say this? Confession is not the same as admitting. Confession means that I agree with God 
about what he says about my sin. Admitting means I acknowledge I did it. You eat the cookie out of the cookie jar. And your wife says, now who did this? I did, so what? <laughs> you've admitted that you did it. That doesn't mean that you've confessed that you did it. You see, confession means that I agree with God. I say, God, I agree with you about how bad my sin is and how grievous my sin is to you and what I need to do about it. The first part about agreeing with God is you need to call your sin what God calls your sin. We're in the final program in our James series with Pastor Mark Job here on Moody Presents. Maybe you've missed some of our earlier messages. Hey, no worries. It's easy to get caught up. You can listen online at moodypresents.org. Now back to today's message on prayer. Some of us admit that we made a mistake, but we don't want to call it what God calls it. Yeah, you know what? I just made a mistake in my marriage and kind of blew it. But, you know, she wasn't really meeting my needs. And, you know, we all have our issues. We're all human. And I made a mistake. No, don't call it a mistake. Call it adultery. A mistake is when I trip over something unwillingly. Adultery is when you pursue a married woman willingly. Call it what God calls it. Stop calling it a mistake. Stop calling it an issue. Oh, you know, just I, I went and I just had some fun this weekend. I'm sorry, God. No, no, no. Stop saying you had fun. Call it fornication. Pastor, I don't know if I'd call it that. Well... If you're single having sex with another single person, it's called fornication. Call it what it is. Don't call it a little fun. Don't call it a trice. Don't call it overnight. Don't call it Netflix and chill. Don't, don't, don't. You know, you can call it what you want to call it, but how about calling it what God calls it? Because ultimately, confession means calling your sin the same thing God calls your sin. I got drunk and, you know, it's just... I really need to overcome this disease. Hold on. The Bible forbids drunkenness. You can call it a disease, but it's a choice. If you do it enough times, it feels like a disease that you have no control over. But like everything else, you need to repent and leave it behind. You see, confession, many of us don't repent because we don't call our sin what God calls it. And it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some of us haven't, aren't changing or not healed because we're not calling our sin what God calls it. We're not anting up to it. We're not recognizing it. We're calling it our personality. We're calling it a trait. We're calling it that we're victims of other people's manipulation, that your job made you blow off the handle, that your wife irritates you, that you hit her because she drove you to it and and it's her fault no 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 call it what it is you're out of control with your anger call it what it is i need to repent call it what it is it's selfishness it's sin it's egotism call it what god calls it because when you confess your sins and then pray one for another so that you will experience the healing that needs to happen to bring about transformation to your life and when you do so, listen to what it says. 
The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. A more literal translation of it is the fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. When you confess your sins, when you pray for each other, when your heart is clean, when you're walking right before God, then watch out because now we have a prayer warrior that when you pray, there's power in your prayer. When you pray, there's power. Why? Because you're walking with a clean heart before the Lord. You're confessing things. You're praying for things. You're dealing with things. You're being honest before God. And now when you pray, you're a righteous person. A heart is clean. And now your prayers, your heartfelt prayers, not your made-up ritualistic prayers, but your passionate, heartfelt prayers they have a powerful effect on the kingdom of heaven. Now when you pray, God says, hold on, quiet, quiet. They're praying. I'm listening. They're praying. And it moves things. It changes things. There's power that comes when people are walking right before God. There's power that is unleashed in the spiritual realm. Listen, I have a lot of people pray for me. And some people's prayers accomplish a lot. And some people's prayers, not every prayer is created equally. I got a couple of people that pray for me every day, and I covet their prayers. My mother's one of them. 78 years old, missionary, Jesus-loving woman. That I know when she prays, God listens. I got another friend, Chuck McWhorter, 84 years old. He's been serving God for over 40 years. He prays for me and my family every day. I know this man walks with God. He's given away so much money, it's crazy. Serving and loving Jesus. I'd rather have two righteous people pray for me than 5,000 unrighteous people pray for me. And then he says, look at Elijah, by the way. Elijah was a human being like you and I. He wasn't a Marvel character with a big P on his chest. He was a human like you and I. But when he prayed, it says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years because he prayed. Famine hit the land. The king was after him. Where is this man that's brought this nation to our knees? And then finally, when there was a confrontation on Mount Carmel, and God was glorified, and the people said, there is a God, then Elijah decided, now I'm going to pray that it rains. And after three and a half years, Elijah prayed, and it rained for the first time. He saw the little cloud coming, and it started to rain. And what James is telling us is Elijah was just like you and I. He was a man that believed God and the same kind of power that Elijah has, listen, you and I have when we pray fervently for things to change. So never underestimate the power of prayer. Number four and lastly. So you need to learn the approach, the power, the position. And then number four, he talks about the breakthrough. Learn to cooperate with God breaking the prodigal cycle through prayer. Then in verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. 
He's talked about when we're in trouble. He's talked about when we're happy. He's talked about when we're sick. Now he talks about the prodigal. There may be someone in your life right now that has walked away from God. Maybe it's a son or daughter that you raised in Sunday school and they want nothing to do with God. Maybe it's a husband, a cousin, a friend. And you say, I can believe God for others, but to believe that they would come back, I just don't see how God could bring them back. James ends on that note. In the context of prayer, it seems like he's changed the subject, but he hasn't. He's simply telling those of you that have people in your life that have wandered astray, hey, don't give up on them. Because your prayer could be the turnaround power that brings them back. You're reaching out to them and praying for them could be exactly what breaks their heart down and brings them through these doors again to worship Jesus. Maybe you are here today, and by the way, it says, and if you bring them back, you will save them from death. This could be a physical death if they're a believer. God sometimes brings judgment, sickness, and even death. Definitely spiritual separation, which is called death, and you will cover a multitude of sins because when someone comes to God and repents, then their sins are covered and washed away. There are some of you here, and maybe you're here today and you're a prodigal. Maybe someone prayed you to this church today. Maybe in your heart you've been running from God. You're physically present, but you know that your spirit is really far from God today. There is no coincidence that God brought you here this day, this time for this message to awaken your spirit and to say, prodigal, it's time to come back to God. It's time to come home, prodigal. Someone's praying for you. Someone's believing for you. I'll close with this story. Two years ago, I was invited to speak in Spain to about 250 20-something-year-olds. And so I went there to this conference just to speak to these, these millennials about Jesus, most of them who were believers, but not all of them. And as, after the first session, a young man by the name of Samuel came up to me and he said to me, what you spoke about has really stirred me. Can I talk to you in private? And so I took him to, we, we went, him and his girlfriend, we went to a separate room to talk. And he said, I walked away from God when I was 14 years old. I'm 29 years old now. I blamed the church. I blamed my parents. I laughed. I mocked. I raised my hand. I called the people in the church hypocrites. I brought sorrow and pain to my parents. Never did they leave. They continued to follow and serve God. But for all of these years I've been away, this is the first event that I've come back to. There's been a string of events in my life that have jarred me. And now he started weeping. I realized what a fool I've been running from God for so many years. I need to come back to God. His girlfriend was crying. He was crying. We prayed over him. It was just sobbing, weeping as he prayed. The next session came about, and I said, I'd love for you to just 
tell your story a little bit. He said, no way. I'm super, super shy. I would never do it. No, no. I, I will not speak into a mic. So, of course, when the session came, I asked him to come and speak into the mic. <laughs> he was sitting in the middle, and I said, Samuel, could you come and tell your story? He said, no. I said, Samuel, I think it'd be great. He said, no. His girlfriend nudged him, and so he came up. He told his story. On stage, he began to weep and break, and he said, I've been a prodigal for all these years. 14 years old, I left God. I've been running from God, doing it my own way, and I've realized finally what a mess I've made of things. I need to come back to God. As he spoke, four other young men, one who was a policeman about his age, came forward, bowed their heads, and said, we also want to come back to God. Six months ago, he was baptized. And just, just two months ago, I was able to perform his wedding in Spain to the honor and glory of King Jesus. Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. And with that, we wrap up our entire James series. But you can hear it all again online at moodypresents.org moodypresents.org. Next time, we're going to break into a brand new message series titled Red Hot Faith. Anybody can start their journey well, right? But how do you keep it, as Mark puts it, red hot? I'm John Geiger, inviting you to listen next week for some practical answers. See you next time for more of Mark Job on Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.